At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Well, hello again, church family. You guys got an extra hour of sleep. You can do better than that. <laughs> Good morning. Excellent. Well, I want to begin this morning by talking about a topic that I think many of us can agree on. Are you guys ready for that? I'm going to make a statement right here, and I want you to sort of nod if you're in agreement. There are plenty of reasons not to love social media. <laughs> All right. There's the nastiness that occurs between people when you share an idea or share something. There's, there's that nastiness that comes into play, right? I mean, the whole concept kind of has a lot of narcissistic tendencies to it that draws attention to ourselves. And then there's the time that it takes. It's just time and effort and constantly just drawing our attention away from things that can matter. We can all agree with those things, right? Well, I'm going to change the narrative just a little bit. I'm going to twist that up. And yet I want you to know that there are also some things that social media provides us that are positive. There are some positive qualities to what happens on social media. I'll give you one example this morning. Uh, every single Sunday, more than 100 people tune in to watch us live on Facebook and or uh, connect with us after the service. More than 100 folks every single week, every single Sunday that connect. Now, some of those folks can't be here for health reasons. Some of those people are shut-ins, and that is their opportunity to worship with us. That's a good thing about social media. Our teens connect with one another and connect with our student ministries on a place called Instagram. Many Woodside pastors share ideas, share stories, share articles with one another that we read on Twitter. So the fact of the matter is, social media has its drawbacks, and yet social media also provides us with an opportunity to share good and useful things for God's kingdom purposes. Now today, I'm going to share one thing that's happening that I think gives us a little snapshot of the significance and the power that can take place on social media. It's a trend that has been happening lately, and I think it's kind of fun. Many of you have seen it, so I'm just going to go ahead and give you kind of the snapshot of here's what it looks like. You post a picture of before, how it started, and then you post a picture of after, how it's going. On the picture you'll see behind me, that is a young Selena Gomez who hung out with Barney. Now she's a worldwide star. That's the how it started, how it's going. It highlights change and movement through life's experiences. That's what that means. Now, some of us, when we utilize these resources, we will reference kind of fitness results. We'll say, hey, this is what I looked like before. This is what I looked like after. 
Some of us will use that to, to tell a story of a home renovation. Here's what it looked like before. Here's what it looks like after. I mean, let's be honest. HGTV has created an entire network of before and after. How it's going, or excuse me, how it started and how it's going. Many of us use these pictures, these images to share career achievements. And then even this guy, a little league baseball player known as George Springer, who played for the Blue Jays when he was a little guy and now plays for the Toronto Blue Jays in Major League Baseball. How it started, how it's going. According to Fast Company magazine, this how it started, how it's going meme is actually a versatile and useful tool for communication of change and movement across a broad range of topics. Even the business community sees a value in what's happening when we look at how it started and how it's going. Now today I want you to know that we are going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that dives into this very idea because for whatever reason we are intrigued to see transformation. We love it when something maybe is in a state of disrepair or young and not developed and then fast forward, it's fixed, it's grown, it's fully developed. We love to see that type of genuine transformation. And what we're looking at today is a text that walks us through the significance of genuine life transformation. It's important for each and every one of us to see the difference of how it started and how it's going. Now, we are going to turn there and look at that text in just a moment, but before we do, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, We have just sung of your goodness. We have just proclaimed your truth. We have proclaimed your love for your people. And God, that is why we're here today. We are overwhelmed by your love and your goodness and your grace for us. May we recognize that that is not just something that we've dreamt up in our head, but that it is something real and tangible based upon your word. God, today we stand upon your word because your word is true, it is truth. Your word has everything we need to guide us and shape us and lead us into your ways. So God, would you help our hearts to be submissive? Would you help our hearts to be humbled before you? As I think of the gauchos and the legates as they humble themselves to move away to a different country to take that gospel message forward. May we have a similar humility before you to be submissive today to what you want to do through your word. So God, give us eyes to see the truth of it today. Give us ears to hear this truth. And then give us both humility and courage to live out this truth today and in the week ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, church family, today is part two of our five-week sermon series. The series is titled Unstoppable. You can see that on the graphic behind me. What you might not be able to read is the subhead that says, Bound in his love, freed by his spirit. That summarizes what we are doing over the course of these next few weeks. Now, if you happen to miss a sermon, we talked about social media a little bit earlier. I do want you to know that every week on Monday afternoon, we post the audio or a podcast of our messages both on iTunes and on Spotify. And so if you have those, if you have access to those, I want to encourage you, uh, if you want to hear a message again, didn't hear something correctly, missed a week, traveling, whatever, I want to encourage you to go ahead and look for Woodside Bible Church in White Lake and you can listen along. Now, we are camping for the past few weeks, as well as the next few weeks. We're camping in the Apostle Paul's letter to the believers in Rome. And as I've mentioned each of, the few, each of these past few weeks, he is establishing the foundation of our faith. That is what he is communicating to this group of people. Guys, this is the foundation. This is what it rests upon. That's what he has been doing. And then he gets to Romans 8. Now Paul's emphasis shifts a little bit. It's still developing that foundation, but what he moves to, he moves to an emphasis on the assurance of faith. The assurance of faith. That's what we're going to be looking at today in the text. So let's go there together. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Romans 8. We are going to be reading verse 9 through Uh, verse 17. If you are reading along in an ESV Bible, and that's the the translation we use here at Woodside, I want to encourage you, that is on page 944. Again, Romans chapter 8, we're going to pick it up at verse 9. Paul writes, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Let's pause right there. 
What Paul has done, therefore, is has shown us a clear picture of how things started and how things are going for those of us who are journeying with Jesus. That's what he has highlighted for us today. And I want you to know that what we're going to see are actually three specific segments. We're going to see the past, we're going to look at the present, and then we're going to consider the future. Now, I want you to know all of those phases are important for you and for me to consider this morning. Please enter into this because it matters. Enter into the idea of where you've come from, what is going on in your life now, and what the future will hold. The reason I highlight that is because I want you to enter into this with your head as well as your heart. We are at a place where we have to evaluate where we are on our spiritual journey today when we come across this text. This text causes us to consider something. And I'm guessing just by the sheer number of people here today that what I'm about to say is part of your faith journey. Some of us here today have this legitimate question in our hearts and in our minds, am I truly a follower of Jesus? Do I have that genuine desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Some of us, when we put our head on the pillow at night, might wrestle with that. We might say, man, I... I go to church, I do religious stuff, but I have legitimate questions about where I am on my journey of faith if I have even started the real, authentic journey of faith. And so what I want to offer to you today is I think you will be able to discern from today's text an answer to that question. In answer to those questions about your own heart, you will be able to evaluate and discern for yourselves the posture of your heart before God. So let's dig into just those first few verses. Let's look a little more closely, beginning with verse 9. Paul writes, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. What Paul is doing in this particular text is making a clean break from the past. He wants all who read this letter to understand and grab a hold of the spiritual difference that has taken place. And he'd say, well, what is the spiritual difference? I didn't hear it in that text. What we have to do is consider the text that we closed out with last week. The two verses before. I always talk to you about how context matters. Context is very important as we read this particular portion. So look back at Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. 
For if the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's what he said last week. That's the text we looked at last week. So you might say, well, what does in the flesh mean? I mean, I'm still here. I'm still, I got the flesh going on right here. Is that what he's talking about? It is not what he's talking about. In the flesh is another way of saying my heart is still in sin. I am unrepentant. I am living according to my self-centered desires. I'm living for me. In the flesh is a life that has nothing to do with God or the things of God and no desire to do or experience God in that way. That's what it means to be in the flesh. Church, this is why I have stood behind this pulpit for each of the past two months communicating, striving to communicate clearly the life change that happens for you and for me when we are in Christ. When we turn from our old ways, we, we get to the end of ourselves. We say, you know what? It is not all about me. I do not have control of all the things in my life. I get to the point where I say, I cannot do it. I cannot please God. I lay it all down. I repent of my sin. And I believe in faith in Jesus. Not just I have faith in faith, but I believe in Jesus. I repent of my sin and I believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross for my sin. Paul wants you and I, he wants you and I to enter into that and understand that there is a significant difference between being in the flesh and being in Christ. This is why he begins verse 9 with these words. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. How it started, how it's going. Paul's language in that text is positional. He wants you and I to know that if we are in Christ, we do, in fact, have a new status. Our position changes. Theologian James Montgomery Boyce explains it this way. He says, being a Christian is not merely a matter of adopting a particular set of intellectual or theological beliefs. However true they may be, and they are. Boyce continues, it involves a change of state which is accomplished not by us but by a God who saves us. So while we are still in our earthly bodies, our bodies that are wasting away, that are going through changes each and every day, we now have the Spirit of God that dwells within us, that guides us and that leads us. Spirit of Christ. And this reality reveals to us the first of three specific ways that the Christian 
does not have to walk with this burden or this carrying this heavy kind of expectation of effort. If the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you possess resurrection life. If the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you possess resurrection life, and that is a change from the past. Now, this is incredibly important. This is eternally changing. In this moment, I want to make sure that you understand what Paul is saying in this text. He says, if the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, if the Spirit dwells within you, then you possess spiritual life. This is the point in the sermon where I pause from teaching the text and I turn the attention to you. I step away from the scriptures. I ask a question about the reality of what we are engaging with because you're in the church. Maybe some of you are watching online. You recognize that I'm behind a pulpit, so that makes me a pastor, and we have just engaged with some life-altering truth, so I have to ask, does the Spirit of Christ live within you? Can you say today that you are not in the flesh, but I am instead in the Spirit? I am in Christ, because only if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have repented of your sin and you have placed your faith in Christ, according to the Holy Scriptures, that is when you receive forgiveness and mercy and grace and all that God has to offer for you. All that God gives to you happens when you are in Christ. You have resurrection life. Now, let's return to the text. Look at Romans 8, verses 12 through, or I should say 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, but excuse me, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, Paul has moved from the, that distinction that I talked about from the past. You've moved from being in the flesh to being in Christ. Now, the present you're engaging with is not living according to your old ways, but instead living in the power of the Spirit. Now, this might seem obvious, but that can only happen if you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that only happens when you were in Christ. It only happens when you were in Christ. If you were in Christ, you have the privilege of being indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that empowers you. That equips you. He equips you and empowers you to walk in the ways of God. That's how you do it, through the power that the Spirit gives, through the power that is given to you by God. And this shows us the second way that the Christian life is not an effort or a burden. Because if the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you and I owe nothing to the flesh. We owe nothing to the flesh. 
If you are in fact guided by the Holy Spirit, you no longer live in the rule and the reign of your fleshly, earthly desires. Now make no mistake about it, those desires and those temptations will still come. They still happen. But you don't have to submit to them. You have power to turn and walk away. You don't have to be drawn by the power of the flesh through the Spirit of God, through your faith in Christ. You have been set free. You've been set free. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, that sounds awesome. I don't understand what that looks like on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. When I'm not sitting in a church, when I'm trying to live out my life, what does that look like practically, tangibly? I want to give you some, some specifics. If you have been made alive by the Holy Spirit, then therefore you will desire the things of God. Your heart has now been made alive towards God. You desire a deeper relationship with him. That's why you're drawn. You can't wait to get here to worship on a Sunday morning. You're like, I can't wait to sit down to hear that music, to sing and proclaim God's truth. I just love bringing an offering of praise to my God. I've been made alive through the Spirit. You can't wait to get up in the morning to go to that quiet spot in the house, to open the Bible, to dig in and to allow the Spirit to teach you to know more about God and His character and His goodness. Your heart has been made alive to God. The second thing is your heart has been made alive to the Word of God. You read God's Word, you reflect upon God's Word, you have a strong desire to dig in and to know more. That is what happens when the Spirit is at work in your life. And the third thing is you have been made alive towards the body of Christ, towards God's church. You desire to experience deep, authentic community with other believers. I'm not talking about the kind that walks by the hallway at church and say, Good morning. Good to see you. That's great. And I hope that as a church, if you are visiting with us today, I hope that our church is incredibly friendly and kind and greets you when we walk past. If you call this your church home, I hope that that is your experience as well, that you are friendly and kind and all of those things. But what, he is, what we're talking about right here is not strictly some social gathering. What we're talking about is that you would love and you would encourage and that you would serve others within God's family. That's why the New Testament is filled with one another passages. Love one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Throughout the New Testament. And when you and I are in Christ, when we are living by the Spirit of God instead of by the flesh, these are the things that will fuel us. They will move us from day to day, from week to week. They will guide our very lives. Before I go any further, 
I want to take us back to the beginning of the message. You guys remember when I said this, this text will give us an opportunity to evaluate the posture of our own hearts. What we've just looked at, I want to ask you to consider. Is that true of you? As you sit here today, is God in your life making you more alive towards him? Is he making you more alive towards his word? Is he moving in you and making you more alive towards the reality of living in community with other believers? Church, in Christ we have been given the Spirit. As you and I walk out our day-to-day, our weekly activities, he frees us from the old lifestyle that we had that was in the flesh, the self-centered desires. In another letter that Paul wrote, he goes over a whole list of things of what he means when he talks about in the flesh, things like sexual immorality, idolatry, Jealousy, fits of anger, those are the kinds of things that we live out and experience when we are walking in the flesh. I don't need to go into great detail. We know what those things look like. Instead, the indwelt follower of Christ desires more and more and more and more and more of the things of God. Where are you this morning? Where is your heart before a holy God? I want to be very clear about something. This is a burden of mine as a pastor. The things I'm highlighting today are not what you do to earn your salvation. I want to make that incredibly clear. They don't change your standing before God. Those are things that happen in our hearts, and that's what Paul is teaching us, because we have been free through Christ. It is because of him that we have those desires. We can't muster them up on our own. It's because of Christ who is working in us. It is because we have a right standing with God. Remember, Romans 8 is written so that you and I would have an assurance of our faith, that we would be assured. And so when we read verses 12 and 13, What we're reading is the means that God uses to sanctify and mold and shape his people. Make sure you recognize that distinction. Now, let's turn to the last few verses in Romans 8. Again, in that final portion of today's text. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by who we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you are in Christ today, God's grace through your faith, Paul wants to know that you have an amazing future. 
an incredible future. Church, this helps us see the third way that you and I can live assured and empowered lives. If the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, you have been adopted into God's family. You've been adopted. That's your future. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That means that you are an heir. You are an heir with Jesus the Christ. Here's why that matters. There's a phrase in that text. It says, Abba, Father. That is such a significant phrase because there is an element of the closeness and the intimacy that we have when we use that term. But you need to know that that was also a scandalous term in this culture. When it was written, it was a scandalous phrase because only Jesus was the one who used this term and he did so. Typically, uh, scholars will point to the Lord's Prayer. That's when he used this term. You'd say, well, how can I use that term? I'm not Jesus. Oh, wait, you're in Christ. Your union with him gives you that privilege, that opportunity. Not because of what you did, not because of what I do, because of Christ. It is our union with Jesus through our faith that we become heirs. And we can use that special name, Abba, Father. You see, church, it is through Jesus Christ that you and I are no longer slaves to the flesh, but we have been made heirs with Christ. That is our future. So as I close, I want to encourage you to hop on social media. Not because it's awesome, We've talked about the things that are challenges. But when you happen to see a how it started and how it's going, one of those before and after photos, I want you to be reminded of the journey that God has invited you into through his son. I want you to consider how he's changed you from the inside out. And I want you to think, of how much our gracious God loves you and desires communion with you. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.